but let me just press record and hand over to Hess. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, hi, everyone, and uh, thank you for coming this evening. We're gonna. So this is the third session of four, uh, as Joe has just pointed out, and it's spread over four weeks. And we've set aside time to consider the teachings of Jesus found in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. And today I want us to look at, we're going to look at verses 7 and 8, but um, subject to time. So we might just consider verses 7, and we'll come to that in a second, and we'll see what that is. Uh, and if, if, if I feel time allows, then we can look at uh, verse 8. But what we're going to do first is we're going to read the passage uh, together. Uh, Joe is going to bring it up, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. I'll read the chapters, uh, that, those particular verses, and then we'll give some consideration uh, to those verses. So Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 12. I'll read for us. So it says, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, that is Jesus, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And verse 2, it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and, and utter all kind of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so you can could, you could take the... The verse is down, Joe, for, for a little bit. Um, Joe, have you given me the rights? Because I just saw something pop up to say I need to admit someone. So, Jonah, if you can admit people rather than me. Joe? Is it, are you talking about uh, letting people in, yeah? Yeah, yeah, because it just popped up and I don't want it whilst I'm talking. Is that okay yeah. for you to admit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so... Um, we're going to consider um, verse 7, and we're considering this passage that is known as the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to do a quick summary. Uh, and the reason it has that title, the Sermon on the Mount, is very simple, because um, Jesus goes, as we saw in verse 1, Jesus goes up the mountain, and we read his disciples came to him, and Jesus preaches this sermon to them from the mountaintop. So the Sermon on the Mount. And the sermon has the subtitle, The Beatitude. Beatitude means blessed or supreme blessedness, supreme happiness. And there are eight beatitudes, eight blessings declared by Jesus in this passage, with each one commencing with the word blessed. 
which is the title we have taken for this series. Now, the eight Beatitudes, they divide into two groups of four. The first four deal with the heart, the internal state of a person, and their standing before God. And, and it follows the journey of a person to, who comes to faith in Christ. Okay, so, the, so if you look at it all from, from the first to, the, to, to eight, it's actually mapping out a journey to faith for a person who comes to Christ. The set, so the first set deal with that person's state before God. He, he's standing before God. The second set of four deals with that person who has been changed by his newfound faith and how his encounter with the true God manifests or displays itself in the life of that person and, and how that person relates to others around him or her. Okay, so now these Beatitudes, they, they have a beautiful symmetry. They are the, they are the preachings of the Son of God himself. They have a harmony, and Jesus preaches them in this order purposely. Each Beatitude builds upon the one before. Consider them like a ladder, if you like, or an escalator that starts at the bottom and builds up to the top. Each subsequent Beatitude is the fruit of the one before. Each beatitude that follows is born out of the state of the one before. So let's consider the first one. A person is poor in spirit, verse three. You see, he's no longer self-absorbed. Uh, he, he's no longer righteous in his own eyes and he comes humbly and he sees his sin and he starts to mourn, verse four. So he grieves over sin and he becomes meek, verse five. He's humbled further, and he comes with a lowly heart, seeking God. He, he acknowledges that he has a filthy nature, and he hungers and thirsts for God's righteousness. Verse 6, so God meets with him, and that void, that, that emptiness, that longing for God, for truth, is satisfied. God has dealt with him with mercy and grace. He is now born again. He or she is a changed person and displays the character of the new nature. From verse seven onwards, it deals with the second set of four Beatitudes, which is the manifestation, the outworkings of this person and the, their new nature. He or she is now merciful, verse seven, to others, just as their heavenly father had been merciful to them. The heart of this person has been washed clean, and there is a new indwelling spirit that has made the heart pure, verse 8, and acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. When someone becomes a Christian, there is something very different about them. They are peacemakers, verse 9. And people can now see they no longer belong to this world, but are children of God. Because the Christian still lives in this world, and this world is at enmity with God, he or she will face persecution, verse, verse 10 and verse 11. And Christ goes on from verses 11 onwards to warn his disciples in, in those verses about what awaits them in this world, but also encourages them, saying, the pain in this world is temporary. 
and to rejoice in their suffering on account of being followers of Jesus. And a far greater joy and reward awaits them in the world to come. He's saying this world, the pain is temporary. What you suffer for me is temporary, but rejoice in your suffering for me. And a, a reward, a greater joy and a reward awaits you in the world to come. So these eight Beatitudes are the marks of a new life in a born again Christian. They are the marks of a new life from verse, from Beatitude one to eight. And so to verse seven, and, and here is a born again Christian who displays in his life the characteristics of his savior and his God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The evidence that he has received the mercy of God is that he shows mercy to others. When the Christian comes to know Christ, the character of Christ manifests in his life and so reflects that same character towards others. Because he's received mercy, he shows mercy to others. You see, what Jesus is describing in the Beatitude is a divinely given nature of a person, a state of happiness that belongs only to his followers, to his faithful followers, to those that love and know him. These things are foreign to the unbeliever. To be blessed by God is to have real happiness, happiness that does not come from the outside in, but comes from God and manifests itself from the inside out. This world's idea of happiness is fully opposed to that of Jesus Christ. We live in a world where happiness is attributed to things or circumstances, something that is external. And so when these things are no longer, they get taken away from that person or that person's circumstances change. They say, I am now unhappy. It's happiness based on what one possesses or doesn't possess in this world. But Jesus has something much, much better to offer. And in these verses, Jesus is talking about true happiness that is a settled, unmovable, divinely given happiness that is generated in an individual by the Holy Spirit of God. It does not depend on an, on an outward circumstance. That is why Christians, whether they are poor or they're being persecuted or whether they're in prison, they can be a happy people. Their lives do not depend out of the abundance of their possession, their earthly possession. So what I wanna ask you is, so do you have this inner state of, of happiness? Do you desire this happiness that Jesus is speaking of here? In verse seven, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Before we start to unravel that passage, first, I wanna ask the question, what is mercy? What does mercy mean? Or what does mercy look like in action? In order to explain mercy, my pastor, the pastor in our church, Amy and Park Chapel, for all the leaders, many years ago, he had, Many years ago, he um, gave an analogy, analogy that stuck with me. So I will share that with you. He talks about a mother once approached Napoleon, the, the, the French military general, 
and uh, he was the first emperor of France and considered one of the world's greatest mil military leaders. And this mother, she approaches Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor, Napoleon, replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But the mother says, but I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman, uh, he spared the woman's son. Mercy is simply someone not getting what they deserve and instead getting something that something they do not deserve, mercy itself. Now, where there is no mercy, there is justice. And justice is getting what we deserve. Justice is getting what we deserve. Now, with that in mind, let's try and unravel this passage, verse 7, a little bit more and see what it says to us in all our individual lives. First of all, what it does not say, okay? I'm going to tell you what it does not say. It does not say that those who show mercy will receive mercy in return. This is not some, uh, this is not man transacting with God and receiving God's mercy in exchange for showing mercy to others. Neither this verse nor the teachings of the Bible elsewhere convey or show that God rewards man with mercy based on good works. As we will see shortly, and as I advise that you all do when someone quotes verses out of scripture, out of Bible to you, is that you understand it within the context that verse is written. Because if a verse is, um, if verses are taken out of context, they can be presented to hide, to conceal the intended message, whether intentionally or unintentionally. So this verse, is, this verse is similar to that of the verse Jesus taught his disciples to pray and forgive our debts as we forgive those as we give as we forgive our debtors or forgive our trespasses as we, as we forgive those who trespass against us or elsewhere it says judge not and you will not be judged condemn not you will not be condemned forgive and you will be forgiven give and it will be given to you but in all these places, it is talking, in, it's talking to believers and about what the new nature of Christian ought to look, look, to look like. If, in, in Colossians 3, we haven't got time to look at it. In Colossians chapter 3, it's, um, it says, speaking to the Christian, it says, Put on then, as, God, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. A Christian is someone who has been changed from his former self to a new nature. It is this new nature that displays his new character. He is merciful precisely because he has been born again. He has received mercy and grace. And so that the mercy springs forth out of his new nature. 
It's not that God is giving anyone an exchange of mercy for showing mercy. What he's talking about here is that somebody who has come to a saving knowledge of Christ, he's saved, and because he's saved, he shows this mercy. This new merciful character is not to be compared with the mercy that the world and believers or the non-Christian shows to others. So you see, this saving faith or a, person, a person's righteousness or a person's true standing before God is not decided by what that person does. What awaits you and me eternally in the world to come is not determined by our external works in this world, but by the nature of our hearts. The Christian is someone who has recognized that he or she is born with a sinful nature. The Christian has realized his utter depravity, his wickedness, his wretchedness. You might say the Christian, you might say to me, oh, the Christians that I know, they're nice people before they became Christian, good upstanding citizens. They're not vile, they were not wicked. Certainly they're not capable of murder or stealing or committing adultery. And since they become a Christian, they seem even more nicer. But you see, you're missing the point. What the Bible is saying is that it is not these external sinful actions that brings the judgment of sin or sinner against that person. But the Bible says that all mankind, all mankind is guilty of sin by nature. A man called David in the Old Testament, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. What, what, what iniquity means, uh, if we look up in a dictionary, if we look up uh, what iniquity means, is, um, it means, it, it, I looked at some of the comparable words. It lists crime, injustice, offense, immorality, unrighteousness, evil, wickedness. David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. My pastor uh, put it this way. He says, All mankind has the seeds of every sin known to man. All mankind has the sin, has the seed of every sin known to man. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, deals with the heart. At the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. In Matthew 5, in Matthew 15, verses 17 to 20. Uh, is that, I don't know if that is one, one of the reading I gave you, Joe. Uh, you can bring it up here, Matthew. Yeah, Matthew 15. Can you bring that up on the screen? One sec. Sorry, it's been a bit funny. There we go. Is that right? Yeah. So Jesus says to one of his disciples here, um, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile a person. What Jesus is saying here, you can take it down, Joe, thanks. What, what Jesus is saying here is that external good works, religi religiosity, devoutness to certain religious duties or ceremonies, zeal 
commitment of being good in our own eyes, giving to charity, being law-abiding citizens, being a good parent or child, praying, going to church, reading the Bible, believing there is God. These things do not mend a sinful heart. Only Christ does. When a heart has been convicted of sin and surrenders to Christ and is born again, it is changed from the inside out. They become a new person. Their actions and words change. They no longer move to the drum beats of this world or the old nature, but their new nature in Christ. The changes you see in them, like showing mercy to others, not just at the, po at the point of their salvation, but thereafter, like showing mercy to others, they are the fruits of their salvation. They are not the means to their salvation. They are the fruits of their salvation. Just unmute someone, hold on. Okay. So they are the, they are the fruits of their salvation. They're not the means. They bear the marks of the beatitude. Let me give you a story uh, quickly about a lady uh, this weekend, just weekend just gone, who was sharing with us a testimony about her father. And she was saying that her, her parents, they, they were elderly, they were frail, and they, they, they both tested positive for COVID a few months back. And, and her parents, were both admitted to the hospital at the same time. This is a, this lady, uh, her mother and her only one sibling, her sister, were believers, but her father had been an atheist all his life. He was a staunch communist and a hater of God, but he came to Christ in his last days. She told a few of us how her father had been welcoming and receptive towards the gospel during the lockdown and other daughter was worried for him and for his life, both in this world and, in, and particularly in the world to come. She was very worried. She knew his time was near and he didn't know the Lord. She had, stated, she had started to share the gospel with her father even more fervently and on a regular basis, pleading with him, being conscious his time on this earth was coming to an end. And judgment and the justice of God towards sin awaits her father if he continued to reject the mercy that was on offer from Christ. She saw clear evidence of God at work literally in the last few weeks leading up to her father being admitted to hospital. Whilst he was in hospital, his phone had been left in a drawer by the side of his bed in the hospital. When the daughter called, he was unable to speak or even move to pick up the phone. But a nurse picked up the phone, an appointment arranged by God. And the nurse introduces herself to the daughter and says, your father can't speak or move, but he can hear. So the nurse puts the phone to the father's ear and the daughter speaks. She told us how she entrusted him to Jesus speaking tenderly, tenderheartedly of the love and grace and mercy of Christ, pleading him into the hands of Christ. She says, she told us all, you know, she's sharing the gospel with him. And she says, I want to see you in heaven 
with my sister and mom. And the nurse asks him if he wants to continue to hear and he indicates that he wants to hear more. We have two daughters and a mom who knew Christ. Persevered for years with compassion and love towards a father, a husband, pointing him to Christ with tears and with pleading. And more so as his last days on this as were, were left. The soul that knows mercy is a merciful soul. You see, a mercy that expresses compassion for a fellow sinner to a point that a per, and points the person to the mercy of God for sinners is one that knows the mercy of God in their life. Because God is merciful, he offers grace to pardon and forgive sins. The Bible says that an unbeliever is dead in their trespasses and sin. But God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves his people. He says, come to me for mercy. Do not reject his offer. We're going to finish this part by looking at verse, uh, Luke chapter 18. Joe, if you can bring that up on the screen. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. I want to encourage you guys to come to God like this tax collector we're going to read about in these verses. So we start reading at verse 8. The far, so this is Jesus telling this story. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his, to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you want to receive the mercy of God, you want to be changed, the Bible says, come in humility and let God change you, change your inner self from the inside out. So then these characters could be true of you.